0: Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 26. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for there are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Cherubim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O oh Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut, us, cut off our name from the, heaven, from the earth and what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of Zarahite was taken, and he brought near the clan of Zarahite man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath and they took them out Of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord and Joshua and all the men with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them up to the valley of Achor and Joshua said why did you bring trouble on us the Lord brings trouble on you today And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, unleash your word upon your people so that we may be transformed and give glory to your name. May you be with me as I speak boldly about the truth that you want to convey to your people. And be with all of us as we hear these words and be moved by them. So that we may may give glory unto your name and bless your holy name and worship you to the very end. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One Saturday morning, I ran out to the driveway to read. Let start again. Is it good? Test. we good? You guys got to speak back to me, are we good? Are okay. we Yeah. I can't hear the actual speakers here. Um, so I ran out Saturday morning, I picked up the newspaper, our local newspaper, and I opened immediately to the sports section because I wanted to read about uh, the game of the week for high school football. Because uh, the game of the week was between Granada Hills High School and Kennedy High School. And uh, what the title said on the sports section was Kennedy defeats Granada 56-49. to And I read and it had nothing about me there. And you might be thinking, why would you be looking for your name? Well, because I was on the Granada Hills football team. And if you knew um, these two teams, why they were the game of the week is because Kennedy had a powerhouse offense. They were 4-0. They've scored the most points in the city, and they were unstoppable. We had Granada Hills, who was 4-0, had an amazing defense, had all these interceptions, only gave one touchdown over four games. We were 4-0, best defense. So something had to give and the newspaper said, game of the week. And everyone was talking about it, but Kennedy and Granada Hills knew one thing. Granada had a weak link. And his name was Jeffrey Choi. (laughs) Everybody knew where this game was going to be won or lost. My coach called extra meetings and gave me special powers to call timeouts if I ever found myself in a position that I did not like. Just to give you comparison, I'm a nobody, and the other cornerback ended up going to Nebraska to play football. So everybody knew that I was the weak link. As I stepped out onto the field, even the Kennedy football team knew. Number 27, there he is. You're going to pay today, and we did. We lost, we gave up the most touchdowns in any game, and I just could not stop the flood that was coming my way. And why do I tell you this story? There's no redeeming quality about that story. (laughs) I tell you this story just to give you an understanding of how the Old Testament covenants worked. How Israel lived. The strength of Israel was only as strong as its weakest link. If everybody was not right, if everybody was not focused upon the task at hand, it didn't matter if 99 people were doing something right. If one faltered and failed, the whole nation took the blow. That is what we see here today. And it's not Jeffrey's fault. It's not an individual fault. It's the nation's fault. I think it's appropriately appropriate that the newspaper said Granada Hills lost. It did not say Kennedy defeats Jeffrey Choi. And here that's what we have in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. Though it was one person who sinned, the title of this whole section is this. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to devoted things. It is Israel who broke faith, not only Achan. And that is what I want us to talk about today. And the hope of this passage is simply this, that you would understand what covenant you guys are under and why we need to give praise to God for it. So let's just get into the narrative. First, we don't see what sin has happened. We just see the consequence of the sin. We see that spies go out into the land and they talk to Joshua and they say, hey, you don't have to send the whole army. And what is the whole army? It's about 40,000 men. He goes up to Joshua and says, hey, they're kind of small, this one. It's not like Jericho. You can just send two to 3,000 men. And Joshua says, okay, I'm going to send 3,000 men. And he sends 3,000 men and what happens is they flee, 36 men die and all the people are distressed. It says, and the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now, if you're like me, as, at a first reading on this, you would say, uh, what's the bad thing that happened? If you only lose 36 men out of 40,000, I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad. You talk to any war general, they will take that amount of losing men. If, if you're telling me that I'm going to only lose 36 men in battle while I have 40,000, I'll take it. It's not optimal, but I'll take it. But to Joshua and to the whole community, it was distressing. Here we see Joshua tear his clothes uh, before the ark of God. He lays Face down for all day until evening, the elders come and join them. They tear their clothes. They put dust on their heads. And they are crying out to the Lord. Why? It was your first loss. You you, you had sweeped the other one before. Why would you be so distressed over one loss? And I think you'd be right to think that. But these stories are not meant to be read through the eyes of the world. They are to be read through the eyes of faith. Joshua is not simply mad that he lost 36 men. He understood at a deeper spiritual level what this loss meant. Because it could only mean two things at this point. See, Joshua is not fighting a regular worldly war. He is fighting a spiritual war. That God has decreed. And if they do not win the battle, it can only mean two things. One, God is not powerful enough to deliver on his uh, promises. Or two, God has turned his back on them. So you see, Joshua realizes immediately that this loss is not a simple loss. But it means that something has happened. And that is why when he prays, He begins to pray in great distress, crying out to God, why has this happened? And I want us to stay here for a little bit because I've read other commentaries on Joshua's prayer. And everyone says they lost this battle because Joshua did not have faith. Joshua had lots of faith. Generally, when you read about Joshua, Joshua is one of those Bible characters. There is no flaw with him. There's not. He's perceived as a good character. He doesn't have any failing qualities, say, like Moses or Abraham. Joshua is someone who is a man of faith and who God approved. Joshua was praying to God because he wanted to really understand God. He was praying to God. And he was distressed because he really believed in the promises of God. And I want us to stay here because I want to use Joshua as an example. This is how we should pray. The world should look at us and say we are overreacting all the time. Most of our prayers are, dare I say, a little bit faithless. When we pray, we pray so that we are not hurt or we do not Have any emotions to it. We pray, Dear God, let me get this, but if I don't get it, uh, let me be okay and let me be fine. That's how we pray. We hedge all our bets. But if we believe in the promises of God, we should be disappointed if He doesn't show up. How many people have prayed and said, God didn't answer, and you're like, Ah, that's what God wants us to do. That's what's in the Psalms. Every time we read the Psalms, it's not. People who are calm and steady and who are simply saying, I accept the circumstances. God has been silent here. As long as God is good, I'm good. But that's how we pray. We need to be like Joshua who are distressed when they don't see the promises of God being fulfilled. We cry out to God and demand that he answers our prayers according to his will. I just wanted to stay there because there's literature out there that's saying Joshua did not pray a prayer of faith. What we see before us is a man of great faith who actually believed in the promises of God and believed that he would do what he promised to do. But then what happened then? Why did Israel lose Joshua is very connected to the book of Deuteronomy, and Joshua doesn't make a lot of sense until you understand the book of Deuteronomy. Because we know when you go to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, God clearly explains what's happening. See, Joshua knew that God was going to defeat all his enemies if he obeyed. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7, it said this, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. If you read the beginning of chapter 28, God says, If you obey, these things will happen. And under Joshua's mind, he obeyed. But Joshua also should have known that there were verses 25 to 26. In which if the people disobey, this is what it says. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horde to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away Israel had sinned and that's why God says get up show yourself Joshua for someone has sinned and what was the sin they began to dig and began to look for it and God says the sin that has occurred amongst the people is that a person has taken devoted things and have claimed them as their own now, I just want to quickly go, go over it. devoted things is a special word in the Joshua narrative. The Hebrew word is haram. Um, I think that's right, but if there's any Ju- people who know Hebrew, you can correct me. But until then, I am correct. <laughs> haram. That is an important word through the conquest of Joshua because God is very specific when it comes to devoted things, God has specific instructions of what how things are supposed to be conducted during this warfare and if you deviate from them, you will get crushed. So then Joshua goes through the arduous process of gathering all the people and going tribe by tribe, household by household, man by man, until eventually he finally comes to Achan. And he asks Achan, what have you done? And Achan says, I took a robe from Shinar I took gold and silver, and now Achan knows what must be done. He must be burned. Now, if you read this, again, superficially, you go, whoa. I thought Joshua overreacted. Maybe God is overreacting, right? Because we've all been there. All he did was, I remember my junior high school, high school days, I took some CDs Um, discs a candy bar if I burn for it does the punishment really fit the crime but I want us to put it into context Achan is not committing a crime he is not unaware of the consequences and how do we know this Deuteronomy remember they were in the wilderness 40 years and the only literature they had was Deuteronomy Exodus Genesis Leviticus and Numbers that's all they read. So they knew what was in this book. And in Deuteronomy chapter 20, there are, war, there are rules for warfare. And this is what one of the rules are. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are here very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. But in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance, you shall save n- alive nothing that breathes but you shall devote them to complete destruction, haram. But even before that, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 20, Deuteronomy 7 says the exact same things, and this is one of the most important parts of the book of Deuteronomy. He says, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction, haram. You shall make no covenant with them and show them no mercy to them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. Haram. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to To destruction. Haram. And then we the Battle of Jericho, chapter six, as the trumpets played and as the walls fell down. This is what Joshua says right before they go into Jericho. Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Haram. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Achan knew. He knew that if he committed this sin, not only would he pay for it, but his family would pay for it and his nation would pay for it. He knew that God would curse the nation if he took that robe yet he still took it and because of him 36 men died it could have been totally avoided so Achan is not someone who is simply innocent who did not know the consequences he knew the rules of the game yet he did it and the thing that I want all of you guys to get from this is simply this This still applies to us today. If you sin, it does not only hurt you. It hurts everyone else around you. The biggest lie that I think Satan tells us is that no one will be hurt by my sin. If I just look on that website, no one's going to be hurt, really. But yes, really, others will be hurt by it. Or if I covet certain things, uh, no one's going to care. Or if I gossip, no one's going to care. Yes, it all matters. The community is affected. We have this belief just because we sin and no one will know that other people won't be affected. That is false. And here clearly it shows that when one person sins, it affects the rest of the community. And so Achan doesn't have a defense, really. He doesn't say, uh, I didn't know. I, I'm sorry. I, I, it slipped my mind. Achan doesn't do any of those things. He completely understands. But I want you to see how Achan come, came to this understanding. It's actually through Joshua's words. Joshua approaches Achan, and he says, my son, my son. It's powerful. If I was Joshua, I would have saw Achan, and I would have went up to him and said, "It was your fault. You better confess what you did right now. But yet Joshua understood. I mean, he understood the temptation of man. He said, my son, my son, give glory to God of Israel and give praise to him. Now tell me what you have done. That's an odd way to start a confession. Give glory to God. I mean, everybody is watching. Shouldn't he just confess his sins and then have us be over with it? I think the reason Joshua does this is because he wants first Achan to see who he has really offended. He has not offended the Israelites, but God alone. And it's only when you truly understand who God is, how holy he is, how clean, how pure he is. When you begin to come close to God, do you truly understand the sin that you have committed? For a sinner like me who reads the scriptures and I say God is overreacting, all that shows me or shows anybody is that I have not yet fully comprehended the holiness of God. So if you are like me and thought, man, this is an overreaction, we have not yet begun to delve deeply into the holiness of God and how heinous sin truly is. But Aiken's confession is actually very beautiful. After he gives praise and glory to God, He confesses with so much clarity. And I want you to hear this confession because he doesn't confess knowing that he's going to be forgiven. He doesn't confess thinking, oh, now I'm going to be okay as long as I confess this. The sentence has already been made. He knows that he is going to die. Yet he understands who God is. And with such clarity, he says this confession, verse 20. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. It's amazing because in Deuteronomy chapter 5, that's when the Ten Commandments are first released. And Achan knew the Ten Commandments. By heart. And he knew exactly which commandment he violated, the tenth one. God, I coveted. And then he understood the seriousness of his sin in the way he confessed, because he said, I saw and I took. And to us, it's like that's not a big deal. Some of you may still be thinking, I'm not convinced. Seeing and taking, oh, why is that such a heinous sin? Well, I think Achan knew the scriptures, and he knew the stories that were told of old. Another time this verb pairing comes into place where a person saw somebody and took it was Genesis chapter 34, when the prince of Shechem saw Dinah and took her. And even before that, we see this verb pairing in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve saw the fruit and took it. At the core of every sin is the belief that you are more powerful than God. That you do not play by anyone else's rules. It is the belief that because I am superior amongst everybody, I can do whatever I choose. And isn't that the true nature of sin? Our nation has been wrecked by powerful men and women who saw and took helpless people. Our nation has suffered from people who saw money, saw things that were not their own, but neglected the other person and took it. God knew that if this attitude were to spread amongst his people, they would be destroyed. Right. For in the next book, Judges, that is the theme. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. God knows humans, God knows how humans are. And we need to begin to trust God in His holiness and His hatred. Of sin. That is why Achan doesn't try to negotiate himself out of it. He sees the bigger picture. And as Achan is brought out, and it's just not Achan, it's his family. It's his oxen. It's everything. Joshua looks at Achan and he says, why did you bring trouble on us? And Achan has no answer does not defend himself. He understood what he did. And here I just want us to pause again. Sin will always have effect on the community, not just yourself. And this is a realization we need to come to understand and know. And towards the end of this chapter, what we also learn is that the only punishment for sin is death. The only way God is going to be appeased by this whole situation, the only way God is going to bring blessings back onto the people of God is if the person and the family dies. So the Israelites stone this family and put them to death. And it's only after the death of Achan does God's burning anger turn away. And it is only then this is when the curse is lifted off the people. Here's the question that we should all be asking. Have things changed? Yes, they have. But before I tell you what um, has changed, let me tell you what has not changed. God is still the same God. Every time um, a person who reads the Bible who's not Christian, they always say, oh, I like the God of the New Testament. This God in the Old Testament is whack. Right? And they say that. I cannot believe in Christianity because if you are saying you believe in the Old Testament, I can't believe in that God. Or some will say God has finally developed a heart and he changed. No, no, no. God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He does not change. That Old Testament God is still the same God today. Second, his hatred for sin still burns the same. He hates sin. He hates it. Don't fool yourselves into thinking that God does not hate it. Oh, he hates it. Can't get that through enough. He hates it. Still, even today. And the punishment for sin is still death. The only way to satisfy the wrath of God, even today, is death. So, what has changed? It's Jesus. Jesus has changed everything. Jesus has become Achan for us. There is no more weak link in the Christian community. I am not, my fate does not depend on Pastor David's perfection. Our church does not depend upon if we are living a good life. Our life no longer depends on policing one another, ensuring that we are living up to God's standards. Jesus Christ became the least of us to ensure there would be no more weak links. When you believe in Jesus... Jesus now becomes the weakest link. And the Christian community is going to thrive. Sometimes Christians work too hard on ourselves. Yes, our sin still affects our community, and we should get away from it. We should flee from it. But sometimes we think we're going to take the whole structure down with us. No, you are not. Because Jesus lives inside of you, and Jesus now is ensured that all of his people will make it, that his church will thrive, that it will be the most prominent institution in the world. He ensured it as, because he died and permanently turned the wrath of God away forever. It's not coming back for his people. We do not have to worry about it. We are in a new covenant, a covenant of grace. This is why Jesus is so big. God has not changed, but Jesus has deflected the wrath of God away from the people he loves the most. We need to praise God. The burden has been lifted off us. The weight of sin is no longer a hindrance on us. Yes, we still sin. That's fine. I mean, it's not fine. (laughs) But it should not destroy us. We hate it because God hates it. But we have strength because Jesus is now going to empower us to overcome it. And we give God all the glory for that. It's important to note that what happens to Achan after is important for us. After Achan, they put up stoves, huge heaps of stones upon Achan's family so that everyone could see. And this is the second time that the people of God have done that during this conquest. Remember the first time they set up the stones, they set it up after they crossed the Jordan. And they set it up because God wanted to remind the people that God is powerful enough to save. Remember that. Then we put up these heaps of stones for what? That God hates sin and that sin needs to be punished by death alone. Two stones why don't we visit those two stones anymore? Because these two stones was always, always pointing to the cross. The cross now serves as our reminder that God is powerful to save. And that sin is still punishable by death, but it no longer applies to us. Our whole point in our life is to look at Christ crucified and have great joy for what he has done. The cross is now the only symbol that we need to remember the faithfulness of God. It is the complete picture of who God is, and it should bring us great joy because now together his church will last forever and thrive because it is Jesus leading the way, and it is Jesus leading from behind. And we should have great joy, not because what Jesus Christ has simply done for you, but what he has done for the church. May we give him all the praise and glory that he truly deserves. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has come and that you have provided a way for our church to thrive. And when I talk about your church, not just only ACC, but the church universal, we can have confidence that though we are not perfect, that it will survive and that it will be strong because Jesus is head of the church. May we never forget that. And may we, in our times of darkness and distress and sin, may we not be overcome by it, but be thrilled that Jesus is our king. God, we give you all the glory. May you be praised forevermore. Amen.